appreciate what has gone before and the good thoughts that uh, we've heard throughout the meeting this weekend. <clears throat> Seems like uh, from the very beginning, um, the, there has been a thread uh, throughout all of the messages um, concerning um, comfort to the Lord's people um, and um, encouragement to stay the course. And this afternoon, if the Lord would bless us for a few moments, I would like to continue with this. I, I have to tell you, I thought when Brother uh, Conley uh, got up and uh, quoted uh, how uh, our Lord um, is the Lord of hope, that he was going to go into my subject that I wanted to speak to you this morning, um, but he just touched on it. If you would, please turn with me to uh, Romans chapter 8. And in Romans chapter 8, <clears throat> verse 24, I have to get over here to it, I, I have begun using a, a tablet instead of uh, written because I can read the tablet better than I can read a uh, from a written Bible. Um, but I don't like using the tablet because it's not as intuitive. Uh, you, you kind of, after years, you kind of know where things are in the Bible. And uh, when you're using a tablet, you have to push buttons, and it really doesn't matter where it is. If you push the wrong button, you're not going to find it. Um, <clears throat> You, know, you can you can be off a page or two in the Bible and say, "Whoa, I'm close," you know, and get over to it. <clears throat> in Romans eight verse twenty four, <clears throat> the apostle Paul tells us, "We are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for what we do, what we see not." Then do we with patience wait for it. One of the struggles that we have um, today um, is to find ways to make our faith relevant. Um, and, and let me explain what I mean by that. <clears throat> we have um, faith in God. And that um, faith in God is, is based upon promises that God made at the very beginning with, with um, well, the first promise was, was in the Garden of Eden when he, when he said that he would put enmity between uh, the seed of the woman and uh, the seed of the devil. But he made promises and uh, has kept those promises um, up to now. There, there is yet a promise to be fulfilled, but he has kept those promises up to now. And uh, those promises have to do with eternal life. Okay? Well, <clears throat> and I don't mean this disrespectfully, but most of the troubles that I have are right now. And I need some help with the right now problems. Um, you know, I can look at the eternal life issue and say that's all locked up and that's good. 
but I'm struggling right now. And I need help right now. And that raises the question, how is my faith relevant to the problems that I'm having right now and the help that I need with the problems that I have right now? And the answer to that is hope. The answer is hope. If you go over to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, there is a definition of faith there. And that definition of faith um, is defined in terms of hope. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. Now, what that tells me is that uh, whatever it is that I'm hoping for, um, there is a direct relationship um, where my confidence in that thing is concerned. Um, That faith is the um, substance, it is the underpinning, it is the platform, it is the foundation, um, it is the launch site of the things that I hope for. And so we understand from that that um, somehow um, our um, faith um, as um, launched out, if you will, or or delivered um, through our hope as delivered through faith um, can have a direct impact on the problems that we're having right now in our lives. If you would, turn with me for a moment, and we're going to uh, look at this. First of all, let's go um, to, um, uh, let's continue a little bit reading right where we were. He says, um, but if we hope for what we see not, do the, then we do with patience, wait for it. Likewise, the Spirit Um, helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we we ought, but the Spirit maketh intercessions with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now that, um, that sentence right there should be a great comfort to all of us, because what he's saying is it's not necessary for you to understand Um, All of the things that are causing you discomfort presently in your life because the Lord knows. And the Lord um, helps you with your infirmities. And the way he helps you with your infirmities um, is by um, the function of hope in your life. And even if you can't detail what it is that's making you feel uh, afraid or what it is that is causing you such frustration, even though you can't express it in in mental concepts, if you will, the Lord understands and he knows how to help you with it. Um, And the way he's going to help you with it is by giving you a way to look at things in the context of hope giving you a way to process everything in your life um, through the paradigm uh, of hope. And he says, And he that searcheth the heart, hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit. Now, <clears throat> later on, he's going to say, And we know that all things work together for good to them uh, who love the Lord, to them who are called according to his purpose, for whom he did foreknow them, and he did predestinate, etc., etc. Okay? That statement is grounds 
for the point he's making right here. Now, grounds is something that says the reason you can believe this is true is because this over here is known to be true. And what he's saying is that since God um, secured your future uh, eternal life um, through those five things, you you can rest assured that he's going to help you with your infirmities um, because he knows to search your heart to see what it is you're really struggling with. Um, And he also uh, pursues his purpose of where your well-being is concerned. And the reason that you can know that he pursues uh, your best interest is because he saved you eternally. That's the whole argument that he's laying out here. Okay? So when he says, and he searcheth the hearts, and knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, what he's, the point that he's making by what is the mind of the Spirit um, is that the Lord has your best interest at heart so that when he sees the struggles of your heart, um, he looks at the struggles of your heart from the perspective uh, of what is the best way for you Um, to think about these things and to go forward where these things are concerned, where the troubles are concerned. That's the point he's making here. And he says, because he maketh intercessions for the saints according to the will of God. What is the will of God? All he did for for new, he did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. His will is for you to be eternally preserved in Christ Jesus and then glorified when Jesus comes again. And if, he, if that is his purpose um, ultimately for you, then in the meantime, his purpose is goodness. <clears throat> And so he says, <clears throat> according to his purpose, for whom he did foreknow, um, etc. He goes on. Let me back up here a little bit. In verse 22, he says, For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but our, ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves um, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body for we are saved by hope do you see that see he's what he's just done is he said um, here is um, what we're hoping for this is the hope now one of the problems where hope is concerned is that um, modern society and, and frankly the failure um, of salvific um, uh, doctrines, uh, you know, that you have to hear the gospel to be saved, um, the failure of those doctrines to, in, in other words, those doctrines, um, if you take all of humanity throughout the history of, of the world, those doctrines have saved a very tiny fraction of people, even according to their standards for saving have saved a very tiny uh, fraction. As a result of that, and um, since they don't work, since those doctrines functionally, they're dysfunctional, they don't work, they don't do what they claim that they're going to do, and people figure that out, and the way that they figure that out is they get uncomfortable about whether the doctrine actually did what the preacher said that it was going to do, because I'm doubting. And the preacher says, if you have any doubt at all, then it never worked in the first place, and you've got to do it all over again. 
Okay, do you see the problem? Yeah. All right. <clears throat> that doctrine doesn't say, there's no principle of hope in that doctrine as the Bible teaches hope. Okay, because that doctrine teaches you to embrace hope from a perspective of doubt. You see that? <clears throat> that um, it says if you have any doubt, then there's no hope. Whereas if you look at scripture, whether you're looking at uh, the statement that the Apostle Paul makes right here and examining the grammar and the, the connotation and the context of the statement, or whether you're, you break it down and even get into word definitions. And incidentally, words do have definitions, and those definitions have meanings, and those meanings have significance. <clears throat> and so if we're going to understand what Paul is saying here, then we have to begin on the premise that he meant what he said. And he says we're saved by hope. And the grammar of that statement um, is this. We are presently being saved by hope. That's the point that he's making. Hope, actually, it's, it's a little bit different. Hope is presently saving us, is what he's saying. Hope is presently saving us. Whenever you look at the subject of hope in Scripture, you find something very interesting. That hope is not wish. Hope is not wish. Now, <clears throat> I don't gamble. I don't gamble because um, it's immoral to gamble. But I also don't gamble because it makes no sense to gamble. <clears throat> Because whether you're playing roulette or a slot machine or playing blackjack with a blackjack dealer, the odds of you winning are less than the odds of you losing. So if I were to gamble, I could never gamble in hope of winning. I could only wish to win. You see the difference? Okay. <clears throat> but the world takes hope and makes it wish. And they'll say, well, I know the odds of me winning the lottery um, are uh, astronomically against me, but there's always hope. No, there's never hope. <laughs> the most there is, uh, is pipe dream. And the most there is, is a fleeting wish that frankly, by experience, diminishes. I, I had a brother-in-law that wrote college uh, medical school textbooks, and he wrote on addiction and addictive behavior, and, and um, he was writing a book on um, addictive behavior that um, was not um, you know, drug-induced behaviors, things like uh, sexual addiction and gambling addictions. <clears throat> and they did some tests on on people who are addicted gamblers and compared them to people who were not addictive, addictive gamblers, and they were measuring um, the pheromone production, which is the, the a hormone that gives you a sensation of pleasure. And what they discovered was that in normal people, and this wasn't 100%, but in a large percentage, in normal people, the more you lose, the less pleasure sensation you have in anticipation of winning. Okay? Whereas in people who are addicted to gambling, 
before they pull the slot, the amount of pleasure of expectation, the amount of pheromones that were produced was exactly the same after they lost a hundred times as it was after they lost the first time. That they continued to have this insane expectation that they were going to win, even though uh, circumstance was affirming they were going to lose. And so... Today, salvific theology has reduced the, con- the biblical concept of hope to wish. I wished I was saved. The definition of the word hope here is to anticipate with confidence. In other words, when the Bible talks about hope, There is no concept of doubt in the meaning of hope. It simply is something that you have not yet received, that you desire to receive, and that you expect to receive. And it's a confident expectation. How can it be a confident expectation? Well, it's confident, first of all, because the Spirit of God is in us and we've received the fruit of the Spirit. And one element of the fruit of the Spirit is faith um, so that we believe from the standpoint, as Paul describes here in the 8th chapter of Romans, uh, of the Spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children of God, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ Jesus, and all of that is occurring at a spiritual level. You see, it doesn't get into the mind without the gospel. That's the reason the gospel makes sense. is because all of the spirit witnessing that's been going on within the child of God, um, all of a sudden there is an explanation that perfectly fits the spiritual witnessing that is occurring. And so faith is the substance of things hoped for. But without the gospel, there is no explanation of the hope, of the substance of things hoped for. That's where the gospel comes in. But he says that we're heirs of God and that the whole creation is groaning uh, together until now. Um, And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, that means we're born again, Um, Even we ourselves grow within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, which is the redemption of the body, for we are saved by hope. In other words, our confident expectation as to the redemption of our bodies um, save us by hope. And incidentally, the point that he's making here is the Spirit helps us with our infirmities. You know what our infirmities are? That's all the stuff that is, that's troubling us. Whether it's physical, whether it's social upheaval, whatever it is, uh, that's all the stuff that, that is troubling us. And he says, hope is the answer to fixing that. Hope is the way to overcome um, the angst. Hope is a way to overcome the fear. Hope is a way to overcome the anger. Hope is a way to overcome the frustration. How does that work? Well, let's go look. <clears throat> In 
Hebrews chapter 6, and we're going to come back to this in, in greater detail in a moment. In verse 19, uh, 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 the Hebrew writer has been talking about the counsel, the immutability of God's uh, counsel, um, and uh, etc. And then he says <clears throat> that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, this is beginning in verse 18, uh, we might have a strong consolation who hath fled for refuge to lay hope, uh, to lay hold upon the hope that is set before us. Brother Bryce talked about refuge. The way that you can know that you're in the place of refuge is that hope is working. And this is how hope works. He explains it. He says the way that hope works is that it's an anchor that is sure and steadfast. In other words, um, it's going to keep it's going to give you some stability in the storms of life. That hope will give you some stability. That you're not tossed true and fro um, by every kind of teaching that's going on in the world. That uh, the world will be fixed if we have uh, uh, climate um, uh, pass a climate law, or the world will be fixed if this political party wins, or if this superior court judge um, is um, uh, is confirmed. Uh, that all of these things are the solutions to our problems. No, they're not. The solution to our problem is the resurrection of our bodies. And he says it's an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. Now that means it's a taut anchor. And at one end, it is tethering our souls. It's connected to our souls. And then he says, it's an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which enter into that uh, within the veil, whether the forerunner is um, for us entered, even Christ made in high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In other words, he's saying um, at one end of this anchor, um, your soul is tethered. And at the other end of the anchor, um, you're tethered to Christ who is in the throne room of heaven. And in that sense, hope is your lifeline. Do you see that? That it keeps you tethered to the Lord. And incidentally, the Christ that is in the throne room of heaven is the resurrected Christ. The bodily resurrected Christ. You see, his presence in the throne room of heaven um, is evidence of God keeping his promise concerning the resurrection of the dead. And we're anchored to that reality. You see, part of the problem that um, that we have today is that we think today is real. Well, if you think today is real, wait until tomorrow. You won't have today anymore. Today is fleeting. Today only has the the quality of real uh, where our natural senses are concerned. Real is eternity. You see, by any way that you want to um, uh, measure, uh, any method that you want to calculate what is reality... What you find is that the pre- presently what we deter- we discern as reality um, is lacking. 
when it's compared to eternity. You see that? That eternity is the real reality. And this is just the vapor reality that we're in right now. This is just the ethereal reality that we're in now. This is the passing uh, moment of reality um, as we're preparing for that reality that is the forever reality. See the difference? Now, let's go back over to Romans chapter 4, because we're going to see exactly how hope saves us in Romans chapter 4. Um, where to start? Okay, I'm going to start at, uh, I don't like to do this, but I'm going to start at um, uh, 16, verse 16. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be of grace. Okay, so right off, and the point that Paul is making here, Paul is discussing justification. When he gets over to the 8th chapter of justification, um, he begins to summarize, and he says, there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. And what he's saying is um, that uh, so far as your eternal standing is concerned, there is no um, condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, and experientially, um, in as much as you um, walk after the Spirit of God, there's no sense of condemnation. And so he's dealing with uh, uh, how, uh, in a practical way, um, justification works. And he says that the thing that you have to understand about justification is that it's by grace. And that whether you're talking about the faithfulness of God who had faith in Christ's blood, um, so that he would, uh, Christ's blood would be a propitiation, propitiation for sins that are past, um, or whether or not um, it's a faith in his blood at the present, Um, that it was God's faithfulness to the reality that Christ would shed his blood on Calvary, um, that he forgave sins as a matter of forbearance before there even was blood. And so there is this overall uh, overarching principle uh, of fidelity, of confidence, of trust, uh, where the Godhead is concerned, uh, where the uh, concerning the declaration of righteousness. And I don't want to go any further than that into that. He says, therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end. um, The promise might be sure to all um, the seed, not to uh, that only which is of the law, but to that which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. There was a promise, okay? Um, Before him whom he believed, and even God who quickeneth the dead, and calleth those things which are not as though they were. You see, that's the reason we can have confidence and hope, is because God is not limited by uh, time, by sequence, by the passing of time, none of those things. Uh, He can take something that from our perspective is not, um, and deal with it from his perspective that it is. And that's the point he's making here. And he says... That um, so um, shall I say, and being not weak in faith. Now here's this is where I want it. Okay, <clears throat> that Abraham being not weak in faith, God had made a promise to Abraham, and the United seed will all nations be blessed. The problem was <clears throat> that Abraham and Sarah never produced a child. 
The problem was that they were both too old to produce children, that that, um, they had already passed and their bodies were now dead. The the elements of their bodies where procreation uh, occurs, those elements were no longer functional within them. They didn't work anymore. That's just part of getting old. And he says, so... And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. You see, from Abraham and Sarah's standpoint, these things were not. But from God's standpoint, they were. Okay. In other words, God said, I made this promise to you. It's a done deal. And Abraham says, you know, well... It may be a done deal to you, but it's not to me because I'm 100 years old and my body is dead. And so Sarah's womb. But because you can make what is not be what is, I'm going to believe you. Okay? That's the principle of hope. That's how hope works. Okay? He says... but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised he was able to perform, and therefore it was imputed unto him for righteousness. Um, What Abraham did is against hope, uh, he tells us, Paul tells us, he believed in hope. That he didn't consider um, his own body now dead, nor the deadness of Sarah's womb, but against hope, he believed in hope. And that word against um, does not mean in opposition to. <clears throat> that word against is from a Greek word that means para. And it means um, along with or in support of. In other words, um, if I lean against this podium, this podium is supporting me. And what he's saying is that um, leaning on hope he was able to overcome um, the inclination to believe that God would not keep his word based on the reality that Abraham and Sarah were too old to have children. That he believed that if God could raise the dead, then he could also um, uh, uh, reanimate or reinvigorate the things necessary within the bodies of Abraham and Sarah so that they could conceive and produce a child. And that's what God did. Amen. Okay? And that's the linchpin of hope. Amen. That if God can raise the dead, then what is it that he can't do? Amen. You see that? If God can raise the dead, then I can take my hope. And incidentally, our hope of the resurrection of the dead is anchored to one who's risen from the dead. And so it's not blind. It's not uh, unmerited. It's not wishful. It's reality. We're tethered. We have a lifeline to Christ that goes directly from our soul to the throne room of heaven. Um, and that the tautness of that, when Jesus pulls on that, uh, uh, that uh, uh, anchor every once in a while and it tugs on our heartstrings uh, and we feel the Spirit moving in us, what He's saying is, I've risen from the dead, uh, I've overcome death, hell, and the grave, and if my victory there has any meaning, then you need to understand that the power of that victory is the power that 
I can exercise in your life where your struggles are concerned. Amen. Amen. And that's how we're saved by hope. We're saved by hope because we're raised, uh, Christ Jesus was raised from the dead. And you know, the other thing about Christ Jesus being raised from the dead is we now have a more sure word of prophecy where our resurrection is concerned. You see, Abraham died not having received the promises. All nations had not been blessed in Abraham. The Messiah had not yet come. The Messiah had not yet died on the cross and arisen from the dead. And so he wandered around in the perspective of hope. And this is the perspective of hope. It is an expectation for a better land. That they wandered about as strangers and pilgrims, knowing this world is not our home. That we're just passing through. That all the uh, struggles and the toils and the troubles that we experience in this life, um, that we can lay hold on the hope of eternal life um, and say today is not forever. Today is not forever. Forever is forever. And that's when Jesus is coming again. And that's the reality that we're hoping for. Yes. And it's the reality that ought to define our perspective here and now. And when it does, we're saved by hope. I watched the the first, well, probably five minutes of um, the so-called debate. (laughs) And I was thinking about it before it ever happened, and and I I was of of the mind to believe that whatever happened, it was going to be more about heat than light. Uh-huh. Yeah. And it was. Yeah. Yeah. And as soon as I realized that these guys were producing more heat than light, I turned it off. Amen. 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 And it didn't bother me that I turned it off. <laughs> because I realized that there was nothing going to be said in that debate. Even if it had been all light, there would be nothing said in that debate. That was going to have any impact on the resurrection. Hey, 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 that's right. You see that? Yeah. This election is not going to change the resurrection. Right. It's not going to slow it down. Right. It's not going to prevent it. Right. It's not going to somehow take you out of the, that's the, right. uh, uh, you know, the uh, resurrection promise. Right. It's not going to affect your resurrection. Amen. Think of it this way. I don't, I don't know if uh, if this analogy will work for you. It, it, it strikes home with me. Uh, I went to Vietnam when I was 19 years old, and I stood a year there. And um, there was a vocabulary, there was a way of talking about things in Vietnam that was different than talking about it over here. For instance, if you said something about the real world, you were talking about someplace other than Vietnam. Okay? Because it wasn't real. And in many ways, <clears throat> my experience in Vietnam equipped me uh, for the rest of my life as to how to look at things. Because one of the things that came out of my experience in Vietnam uh, is that um, the world is insane. <laughs> Think about it. You have peace. You have a disagreement. 
you go to war, the whole purpose of war is to establish peace. Why didn't you just agree in the first place? And <laughs> save all those lives. War is insanity. If the purpose of war is to establish peace, why go to war? Because you already have peace before you go to war. See the problem? That logical conundrum fits almost everything that we're afraid of in this life, everything that confuses us, everything that frustrates us. It's like, wait a minute. You know, this doesn't make any sense. In the context of Jesus' second coming, me being uh, invested in this to the point that it is disturbing my peace is insane. Jesus is coming again. What's better than that? What could be we are trying to accomplish here to make it better when he comes again? When you see nothing here, matters to that reality. Amen. Yes. What matters to that reality is that we live in a way while we're here so that we can maximize the resurrection perspective in our life. There you go. Yes. And the way that we do that is that we keep the anchor taut right. uh, between our souls and the same. <clears throat> that as we move about in this life, we can feel um, the stirrings about of the Lord in us. We can feel of Him tugging on when we do that by saying, I'm going to live every day with the confident anticipation that Jesus is coming again 